0: She could have never seen this coming. This wasn't the life that she expected. Everything she saw was like walking through this dense fog of the sea. Ever since she was 19 months old, all she saw was the mist of darkness and the silent whisper of soundlessness. Helen Keller looked at her life and wondered how god could have intended for her to go through this blank and melodyless world she looked around and didn't see a purpose for it and that feeling of purposelessness instinctively ended up in eruptions of frustration mugs shattered on the floor chairs flipped over day after day she struggled with how god could have allowed this to happen to her How could Jesus come near to her when he couldn't, when she couldn't see or hear? How could he show his presence to her? Where was Jesus in this silent and dark world? How could her existence be called light? Maybe as you've looked at your own unique thistles and thorns of adversity and challenge, maybe you've wondered the same thing. Where is Jesus in all this? Why can't I see or feel his presence? How will he come near to me? How will Jesus clear the way so I can see him, so I can be near him? It's that question that the church family in Thessalonica was struggling with. They saw the barriers before they saw Jesus. This church had been born in the middle of riots and chaos. They felt the silent hatred of their community and the feelings of being ostracized. When Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, they saw the challenges that lay before them. This city was a beacon of Rome. It overlooked Mount Olympus. Its religion was its life. And so when Paul and Silas tried to break through this pathology of mythology, they knew that disruption was going to be the natural progression. And that's exactly what happened. Riots came up all over the city. Mobs formed. This church family, this young baby congregation, was surrounded by a hurtful sea of haters everywhere they looked. In fact, things got so bad, so toxic, so life-threatening that Paul and Silas had to leave this mission congregation. And just imagine the questions going on in their minds. Is this really how the Lord is going to come near to us? Is this really how we're going to see God's presence through opposition and through shunning of our family and being outcasts of society? Is this really the plan that God has for us? Is this really... The path that he wants us to walk. Have you ever thought about how God chooses so often to enter your life and mine? So often he enters it not with all his glory and power and majesty, but through very humbling mechanisms. I mean, think about the gospel today. He could have swept the crowds away in an angel-powered chariot, but instead... There he is, trotting slowly along on a donkey. Now why, Jesus, do you choose to have such humble entrances into our lives? Why not establish your own kingdom here where when you become a Christian, there's no more pain. All of a sudden, all you see is pleasure. Why, when we become Christians and the Holy Spirit brings us to faith, why don't we just instantaneously, in that moment, Become free from sin. We're perfect, we're holy, we don't struggle with anything anymore. Why, Lord, is your way so difficult and so full of challenge? I don't know if you've ever actually voiced those questions out loud or maybe you've heard them in your own mind's ear. But these are the debates that Christians have struggled with internally for years. From Adam to Moses, from David to Jeremiah, from Malachi to Peter. It's that question, Lord. Why can't you be the King and the God that I really think you should be? Why can't you come to me in the most personal and effective way that I think would be best for you? Now, why we know Jesus is in our midst right now. He promises that, but why can't we see Him physically with our own eyes? Maybe you've read, "Surely I am with you always," at the very end of the age, when Jesus makes that promise, you thought. No, Lord, if I could see you physically, I would never make a mistake again. I would see you in everything that I do. I wouldn't have this struggle anymore. But as you can see, he still hasn't made himself visible to us. Or maybe you thought as you've read your Bible and you see those red letters of his words there, that if you could hear the intonation of his voice as you were reading, you'd never think of singing again. And as we think about the first Christmas, that humble, humble entrance when Jesus as a tiny little baby. Became one of us, it's easy to look ahead to that second Christmas and think, you know, when Jesus comes back with all his glory and all his angels and all his power, that's going to be so incredible. Jesus, why can't you just do that right now? Like, why can't the second Christmas and the second coming be kind of the always kind of coming, how you always come into our lives? See, it's when we start listening to that that we show ourselves for the spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness that we all have by nature. It's on that spiritual level that we can begin to empathize with Helen Keller a little bit here. Where the more we think about how God should be in our paradigm, in our structure, in our life, engineering, design, the more he seems to fall short of our expectations. The more we drift into that darkness and silence of sin. See, we all have these roadblocks that we're struggling with. We have that roadblock of sin that has broken this connection that we were supposed to have with God. We have that roadblock of guilt that hangs over us, that affects our perception of life. We have that roadblock of doubt. That as we look at all the things around us falling apart, we wonder, can God really be capable of changing this? Can he really be capable of doing what I think he needs to do? It's in all those moments where we start listening to the devil's deceptive voice drone on and on, telling us to try to fit Jesus into our little box. And if he doesn't fit all the criteria, then he's not worth following. The thing is, the more we listen to that droning, the more we drift. And we end up a lot like where Helen Keller was, where if we buy into that voice, we all we have is a purposeless life, a life filled with burden, a life with no direction, changing with the winds of culture, in the times of emotions that are here or there or everywhere, how will Jesus clear the way? How will he show his presence to us? How can the thistles and the thorns of sin and struggle be cleared away? Why does Jesus so often choose to be the humble Messiah instead of the mighty king? He does so. Because he knows being the mighty king wouldn't have been the entrance he needed to make into your heart. He knew the only way that he could bring you into God's family was by becoming one of us to be humility embodied, to walk this life and all the struggle that goes with it. And the way he trailblazes his way into your heart and mine couldn't be more unexpected, it couldn't be more countercultural to how we think. Helen Keller, after years, of struggling with this disease-inflicted exile from life, had practically given up hope. She didn't feel any human warmth. She didn't see purpose. All she felt was, well, I'm just going to be a burden for whoever needs to take care of me the rest of my life. But that all changed. One seemingly ordinary day when she went out with her teacher by a well and she felt that water make rivers, forging rivers into the lines of her hands and her teacher wrote the word water on her palm and for the first time, Meaning met reality. Words meant something. Prayers were answered. (laughs) Who could have imagined that a little well water would be the difference maker in her life? Who would have imagined that some water from a baptismal font would change everything for you and me? Who would have guessed that the almighty God of the universe would be there in a manger, his thumbs wrapping around the hands of his parents? Who would have thought the king of kings riding on a beast of burden, who would have thought that he would enter your life and mine through some water and a Bible verse spoken over it? Jesus knew how he could clear the way into your life. And he's willing to do whatever it took to do that. When we think about that fact that Jesus would let nothing hinder him from bringing us into his family, for coming near to us, that we say with Paul, How can we thank God enough? Jesus clears the way. He demolishes your and my preferences for how he should be and instead he's the God that we need him to be. He demolishes all those thistles and thorns of doubt and instead he paves a permanency of peace. I mean, think about this. Night and day, Jesus right now is interceding for you on your behalf with our Heavenly Father. He's broken down that barrier that was between us and God and how he speaks to God on your behalf all the time. He always has your back. He always is with you. And he always stands up for you. Jesus has cleared the way for God to enter your world, your life. And just think about all the ways that Jesus shows his majesty through humility think of all the little tiny entrances that he has done in your life and mine that to the world seems insignificant but to you and me it means everything he chooses to enter your life and mine through a bumbling 27 year old preacher fresh out of the seminary he chooses to enter your life through a little thing in baptism it seems little but we know that whenever it happens that heaven's He chooses through a meager wafer and a tiny glass of wine to remind you that his presence is always at your side, that his forgiveness is real, that his peace is enduring. He even chooses to use all of us here today, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be that channel, to be that voice that gets to bring Jesus' words to people who have forgotten it or have never heard it. As Jesus clears the way in your life and mine, he does so with one intention. As he clears away all that invasive species of sin and all those weeds of pet sins that cling to us, whether we like them to or not, as he continues to come near you with his forgiveness and love, he does so because he wants you each day as you fill your lungs with earth's air, to become more and more like him. So that one day when you do fill your lungs with heaven's air, you'll see everything from his perspective. And you'll see that the humble, selfless nature of our God is really the greatest life calling we could ever have. As Paul looked at this Thessalonian congregation that had been through so much, he saw the humble grace of God that powered them through even the darkest of times. See, when Jesus, through his humble love, clears the way for us, it leads us, like Paul writes here, for our love to increase and overflow for each other, And for everyone else, when that selfless love enters your life space, you can't help but see the color of grace and the melody of joy. You begin to look at what really matters in your life, what your legacy will be, what you hope to accomplish. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about the status you have in the company. It's not about the friends you have. All of a sudden you realize the one thing that matters, the one legacy I want to leave as a parent and as a grandma and a grandpa and as an employee, as a Christian is that somebody one day will look at me and say, you know, you loved God and you loved others more than anything else. That your ultimate life calling isn't about the earthly things, but letting that agape love of Jesus, that selfless love become your motto and mentality with everything you do. That as you page through whatever feeds you're on, whether it's Facebook or Google, whether it's going on the TV, going through channels or listening to the radio, instead of listening with bitterness and pride to people who disagree with you and people you just can't stand, all of a sudden those barriers are gone because you want more and more people to see and experience Jesus break through those barriers like he has with you and to open up a pathway to God that only he could open. And so we can join with that Thessalonian church family And say it's not faith growing despite opposition, it's it's faith growing through opposition. As we oppose Satan, sin, and self, it's that resistance that does bring us closer to God. That resistance that brings God closer to us. It's not about Jesus incinerating every single thistle and thorn of adversity. No, it's looking at that humble Messiah who wore a crown of thorns and thistles. So that you could know what true joy is like. So that you, in turn, could be a path clearer like him for others and for your loved ones. That you could be an artist painting the incredible hues of grace. That you could be a composer. The song of joy being the tune that's constantly going on in your head. It's so you could know what Paul is talking about here. The future that you have when one day you stand, blameless and holy in the presence of God, When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And it's when you see yourself standing there. That you see yourself for who you really are. A blameless child of God. You are someone whose life has been completely captured by the one who is, who was, and who is to come. So blameless saints of God. You know as well as I do that this week you're going to feel the effects of sin. They're going to stick at you. They're going to prick you. They're going to scar you. And yet, don't ever lose sight of the God who took all of those thistles and thorns and took them away from you forever. The forgiveness that is always there for you. As the Lord comes near to you through the Bible, through that weak voice of human language and linguistics, as he comes to you, through the mouths of people you love and your brothers and sisters in Christ, look with joy for the second Christmas. I know things will be busy these next few weeks and we're going to celebrate that first coming. and It is one of the greatest, if not the greatest moment of human history when God became one of us to save us. But don't lose sight of the second Christmas. The one thing that no matter what you go through is worth looking forward to. The second Christmas where you will truly be home in a place where his presence is real, where his love is all you see, and where his voice is all you'll hear. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.